Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Bat Around. I am Paul Valley and with me as always is my co-host Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you doing this morning? I am great, Paul. There is uh, Ravens and Orioles in the same weekend now. I'm excited. There's going to be Ravens and the Orioles on the same day. That is very exciting. Now let me ask you a question, Zach, before we get into this stuff. You ever have a dream that you're a professional athlete? I don't recall, but maybe at some point. Probably. Dude, it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. So when I was a kid growing up, all I wanted to be was a Major League Baseball player. That's all I wanted to be. So even as an adult, every now and again, I will have a dream that I'm on the Orioles roster. And I'm like a role player. I'm on the bench. But I'm making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like super excited. And then I get, I'm in the dream and I'm like, oh wait, there's no way this is real. And I wake up and I'm like super sad. Even as an adult, it's weird, a little insight into the mind of Paul. So last night, I guess this morning right before I woke up, I had a dream that I was, I, I do a uh, I do a Ravens show during the football season called The Football Frenzy with my buddy Adam Rothgeb. And last night, I guess this morning, right before I woke up, I dreamt that I was a linebacker for the Ravens and I come out of the tunnel into an empty stadium. I'm yelling, I'm cheering. For some reason, J.J. Watts on the Ravens and he's the only one who's amped up with me and we like headbutt and all that. And then we start getting into like our pregame stretches and sprints and calisthenics and all that and I can barely move my legs. It was... It was, it was a weird dream. I don't know why I brought it up. For some reason, it was on my mind. But certainly not a dream for the Orioles yesterday. More of a nightmare as they dropped the first game of the doubleheader uh, 6 to nothing. They got two hits the entire game. Garrett Cole, complete game, 7-8 complete game, 9 strikeouts, 2 hits allowed, just the one walk. And I kind of expected Garrett Cole to have that performance yesterday because the Orioles beat him his last start against them and all this talk about how I, I, I can't remember who it may have been you that put up the tweet that said uh, worst contracts in the American League East Garrett Cole and Chris Davis I knew Garrett Cole was going to come out and stick it to the team what I didn't know was that Alex Cobb was going to get the start and then when he got the start that he was going to look like 2018 Alex Cobb for those first two innings three home runs allowed in the first two innings he had five runs on the game his five of his last six starts, no, I'm sorry, four of his last five starts, four earned runs or more, three straight starts with exactly four innings pitched, certainly not what the Orioles are looking for out of Alex Cobb, especially when you consider the contract that he has. Look, I'm going to defend Alex Cobb. I actually like Alex Cobb. He's a guy that, you know, he's making a lot of money and probably way too much money. You could argue that all day. Garrett Cole is a really good pitcher. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start off with that. The Orioles had a tough time against Garrett Cole, but a lot of teams have tough times against Garrett Cole. Obviously, Garrett Cole is going to throw some really great games. He's had a little bit of struggles in Yankee Stadium, but he came out last night and pitched really well. I don't know if we can call seven innings a complete game. I know it was technically a complete game, but he probably might have gone nine anyway. But back to Alex Cobb, you know, it's always hard coming off the injured list when you're, you know, you're not pitching for a few days and you're not built up again. 
it was just a rough night for him. He actually made some good pitches. He really did. He made some good pitches, and they were just finding ways to hit them out of the ballpark. Yankee Stadium is really small. It's 330 to left and right. I think it might even be shorter and right than that. And they were just taking these inside pitches that Cobb was throwing, specifically fastballs, a lot, and just putting them over the wall. Yeah, and look, he, he settled it down after that second inning. Five, five earned runs in the first two innings. He really settled it down and was pitching well. His pitch count was right around 70, and they took him out. I wouldn't have minded seeing him come back out and, and pitch, at least to save that bullpen if for nothing else. <clears throat> Excuse me. If for nothing else. Um, because you're, you're playing a doubleheader. You, you need to save your arms for, so that you have enough pitching to get through each game. Certainly the pitching also let the team down in game two. They lose that game 10-1. to Tanaka was good. Uh, five innings pitched. He gave up uh, three hits, one earned run. He was good. DJ Stewart, what? What? We went into last Saturday, and we're going to talk about this more in our Orioles banter segment on this show, but we went, in, we went into last Saturday's show he was 0-4-16, 10 strikeouts, 9 walks, 1 hit by pitch. Comes up in his first at-bat on Saturday, and he, he strikes out. Then he takes Garrett Cole deep. Then in his next at-bat, he homers again. Then in his first at-bat, the next game, he homers. He went three straight at-bats with a home run. Next thing you know, fast forward to yesterday, he hits his sixth home run in six games. He doubles. Batting average all the way up over 270 now. Slugging percentage is like near 800. The, the guy has just, nobody saw this coming from DJ Stewart. Now, he was a first-round pick in 2015, so maybe we should have seen this coming. But just night and day, he's a completely different player than what we saw at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I, I was not a believer. I've actually never really been a believer. I always thought Dan Duquette reached a little bit. He was not one of the best players available in that draft, even though he really did hit well at Florida State. Uh, and he was never really that great in the minors. He really tore up AAA last year, but before that, he was just okay. The power numbers were really never that great. But he has the raw power, and we do know that. And he, he comes out on Saturday, and he's hitting every mistake, and he started hitting every mistake. There's being hot, and then there's being red hot. Right now, DJ Stewart is red hot, and that means he doesn't miss his pitch. He's not missing it. He was swinging through it before in the when he went 0 for 16, 0 for 17, and now he's just hitting every single mistake. He's hitting every pitch he has. Well, certainly, he's, he, he's 10 for 20. Uh, in the last week. Shame nobody took him for take to rake, but why would you think to take DJ Stewart for take to rake, uh, considering how he started the year? Now, the real story in that game yesterday was Keegan Aiken, and he, he deserved a better fate. He deserved a better fate. Now, th th that's, that's not to take all the onus off of him, because he fell behind every hitter except for one. You know, he, 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 he threw a lot of strikes to Voight, Strike after strike after strike, but then he got beat. Uh, Voight laced a base hit. What really, what it, what it came down to, if you didn't watch the game last night, so so LeMahieu leads off the game. Did he walk? Uh, he had a base hit, I think, to right field. Okay, I could, I could be wrong on that. Uh, a ba base hit to right field. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, a, it was it was a base hit to right field. Then Luke Voigt gets a base hit. So then the next batter comes up, and forgive me, I can't remember who it was at the, at the moment. He hits a fly ball to left field. Ryan Mountcastle catches it. Now, everybody, I saw people immediately posting, oh, there's the defensive shortcomings from Ryan Mountcastle. He didn't do anything wrong. He, he, he got to his spot. He didn't come through the ball like a bat out of hell, but he, he got under the ball, he caught it, 
and he made a strong throw to third base. LeMahieu was inexplicably tagging up. It was a it was it was a stupid base running mistake by by LeMahieu. I understand why he did it. You got to test the young guy's arm, see what he really has out there. Mountcastle made a good throw on a hop. Ruiz squared up. He had his glove up. The ball bounced to his glove, and I guess he tried to put the tag on before he caught it. Didn't catch the ball. LeMahieu's safe at, at, at third base. That's one out right there that the Orioles don't get. So there should be two outs. Next next batter, ground ball to Iglesias at shortstop. And Iglesias is arguably the best defensive shortstop in the game right now. But he hasn't been playing there a lot because of his quad injury. He makes a really poor throw to the home plate. Cisco instead of trying to catch the ball, gets himself in the defensive position to try and just knock the ball down. And I understand not letting it get by you and not letting runners advance. But the run scores. Then there's a base hit to center field. Mullins overthrows his cutoff man, throws the ball way up the third baseline, allowing the, the, the runner to get to second base on a single. Aiken should have been out of that inning with no runs allowed. Instead, he goes two-thirds of an inning, 39 pitches, allows four earned runs. And with how cold the Orioles' bats were yesterday... That was it. That was the end of the game. They they they, they ended up losing the game ten to one. Those other six one, runs were inconsequential because they 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 were they lost the game in the first inning. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can say Keegan Aiken had his best stuff last night. He clearly didn't. You know, he he was falling behind a lot of batters, but he didn't get what he deserved for sure. I, I want to first touch on the Rio Ruiz play because Rio Ruiz is kind of running my patience a little bit thin with him. He was starting off the year as a gold glove quality defender, it seemed, and now he's making a lot of errors in a lot of big spots for the Orioles. And third base is a tough position. I get it. It's hard to play. But he, he we've seen what he can do at a high level. We've seen him play third base at a high level. And now he's not. That ball... It never even looked like he tried to make the play. If you look at the replay when LeMahieu's tagging up, he's just slowly walking over to third. He's not even really paying that much attention. And then Mountcastle is, is ready to make the throw. He makes a really good throw, and Rio doesn't catch it. And same thing with Cisco. Cisco never really tried to catch that ball. They're, they posted a replay as well. He was just trying to block it. Exactly. And, and another thing with Mullins, that throw, we know Mullins doesn't have a good arm. We, we get that. That's why Hayes is so valuable to the Orioles in the outfield. And that's why the Orioles really need Hayes to come back, because Mullins cannot throw. He has a ton of range. He has a ton of speed. But his throw, that, that was just inexcusable, all the way up the third baseline. Well, what I will say for Mullins is that your stronger arms are usually corner outfielders. Uh, you look at some of the better defenders over the last two decades. You look at Johnny Damon, he couldn't throw. You know, the, um, He's the only example I have right now, honestly. I, th- there are more. My brain's not functioning fully, I guess, right now. But not... not Everybody that plays center field has a great arm. It's more about having range and, and, and commanding an outfield and getting getting to balls in the gap. But but I agree with you. Mullins certainly doesn't have a strong arm at all, and it, it, it cost the Orioles yesterday because he he the base hit to center field. He makes a terrible throw. The guy advances a second and he scores on the next on, on the next batter's base hit. So it, it's just it's one of those things where and you look at the box score and for, somehow. Nobody was charged with an error in that inning. I think Iglesias should have been charged with an error on the throw home. It was a bad throw. It was a really bad throw. Um, maybe Rio on the throw from Mountcastle because that ball bounced right to his chest, right to his glove, and he just flat out missed it. it nobody charged with an error, so unfortunately Keegan Aiken gets charged with all four earned runs. And, it, again, deserved a better fate. 
Should have been out of that inning, leading one to nothing, and that that changes the game. You're winning one to nothing in Yankee Stadium in Game Two of that doubleheader, going into the second inning. Maybe Keegan uh, settles it down, comes back and pitches well, gets you into the fifth, maybe sixth inning. You don't know. Instead, he doesn't get the opportunity because a lot of defensive gaffes from the team. What I will say is that the Orioles are being led by a youth movement right now, and that is really it's the best part of this season. The it's. You have Ryan Mountcastle, who's tearing the cover off the ball. You have uh, DJ Stewart, who nobody saw coming, who's tearing the cover off the ball. Keegan Aiken, before last night's start, had gone nine and two-thirds innings with just two unearned runs in his two big league starts. Dean Kramer, one hits the Yankees through six innings in his first major league start to pick up the win, and he looked like he belonged. He looked the part. Uh, it is, and, then, and again, Mullins, offensively, looking like the guy that was basically hand-picked by Adam Jones to be the next uh, to be the next center fielder of the future for the Orioles, and then you look at the bullpen. Dylan Tate has been phenomenal since coming off the injured list. Hunter Harvey, even though he got ambushed by uh, Pete Alonso on thirty on Wednesday night on Wednesday night, um, he's his ERA is right around three three and a half. He's pitching well. Uh, Tanner Scott's becoming one of the best left-handed relievers in the game. And these are all guys that you expect to be a part of the Orioles' future and a part of their rebuild. Yeah, that's why the Orioles are better this year. It's, it's, it's clearly that. They've really made a lot of strides in player development with a lot of these prospects, and they've been really good. Ryan Malcastle, like you said, we all thought he was going to be a good hitter. No one was saying he wasn't going to come up here and hit. He's hit better than I've even expected. He's hitting up near 400 at some points in the season. He's hitting a lot of home runs. He's driving in runs. DJ Stewart... Cedric Mullins, a lot of guys that maybe we didn't believe in, we kind of wrote off, and they've played a lot better than we expected. I'll take it. Same with Tanner Scott, another guy who's shown really no major league success up to this point and had a lot this year. Uh, Dean Kramer, you said he looked the part. His stuff is incredible. This guy has major league stuff. You look at Keegan Aiken, and he has average stuff. And then you look at Dean Kramer, and he has real major league stuff, a beautiful 12-6 breaking ball. He can put that fastball anywhere he wants in the zone. He's fantastic. I can't wait to see him tonight. I'm really excited for that. Or this afternoon, I should say. Yeah, they they play at 1 o'clock. Like, literally, if if you're watching our show, listening to our show, it can be a nice pregame for you because... Literally an hour after we finish, the Orioles take the field against the Yankees with one of their young studs, Dean Kramer, going taking the hill. And I, Kramer was on MLB uh, Central earlier this week, and they were talking about his dominating start in his Major League debut. And what I was surprised to learn is that his freshman year at, in, in junior college, before he ever got, I think he went to UNLV, before he ever got to college, be, uh, his freshman year in JUCO, he was throwing 82, 83 miles an hour. He said his fastball is topping out in the low 80s. This dude throws 96 now. 96. How does that happen? He gets bigger. He gets stronger. It goes to show you what good college coaching, what good um, professional coaching can can get you. But, I mean, the guy's stuff at times is just devastating. And this was a key piece. Now, Yosniel Diaz was the key piece in that Manny Machado trade. But Dean Kramer is the next guy in that trade. And, Honestly, Dean Kramer might end up being a better player because Diaz, A, can't stay healthy, and B, has, frankly, underperformed since coming to the team. 
Yeah, Dean Kramer, I, I believe he led the league in strikeouts, the minor leagues, of course, when he came over in that Manny Machado trade he in did. 2018. He was excellent that year, and he's continued to be excellent. He looks like a 4 or 5 to me, maybe even a 3 at his highest level. The Orioles have a lot of pitchers coming up, so it, we'll just see where he kind of slots into that future rotation. But this guy's really good. He is, he is really fantastic. And Dodgers player development, we know how great of a pedigree the Dodgers player development team has. And, you know, they produce a lot of stars. I hope Dean Kramer's the next one. Yeah, he got his he got his feet wet in Norfolk last year. He got four starts, ERA right around eight. Um, so I certainly didn't see this coming, but they said that his stuff is just electric at Bowie and that he was one of the he was clearly the best pitcher down there, not named Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall. So it's it's nice to see him come up to the major league level um, and have success in his first start. Now let's let's be realistic here. There could be some growing pains. You know, Keegan Aiken went five and a third uh, scoreless his last start against the Yankees and then came out last night four runs in two-thirds of an inning. So let's temper our enthusiasm here a little bit because not quite sure what you could get, but a really nice first start and a nice glimpse of things to come. Before Zach does sounding off, I just want to go over our show a little bit um, and just want to remind you that the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Uh, on our show today at 1020, we're going to have Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment talking some Orioles baseball with us. At 1050, we have Ryan Blake, who's a friend of ours and an amateur scout. He had quite the adventure last year that he's going to talk a little bit about, and he's going to go over some of the key pieces the Orioles got back in trades and some guys who are performing, young guys who are performing really well for the Orioles, both on the Major League roster and down at Bowie. Uh, at 11.35, uh, the irreverent and pragmatic Glenn Clark will join the show. Who does Glenn, of course, does Glenn Clark Radio for Press Box Sports in this very same studio Monday through Friday from 10 to 12, so check that out when you get the chance. Uh, and also check it out on their archives. You can do that at Press Box Sports Online um, or PressBoxOnline.com. Excuse me. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna do take to rake. None of us had a good good week. Um, and then yeah. So now, without further ado, Zach, go ahead. Sound off for us. Look, I don't have all negative stuff to say. I do have a positive segment this week, and it dates back actually to about a month ago, but it still stands true today. And that is the fact that MLB ratings, TV ratings, obviously are way, way up this year. And the exciting part about this is not that just that they're up. It's actually that women and the youth are actually the reason that they're up. And th this just confuses me, first of all, because we know that MLB has a big issue with marketing their players and marketing their teams. And we know that MLB never does a good job at this. They've improved their social media presence in the past few years, but it's certainly a surprise to see ratings go up. Ratings have never been that high, but they've increased by 13 million viewers in the same period that we had last year, uh, an 83% gain in women's ratings as well. The average MLB viewer is 57, and that age continues to drop, which is all really good news for the sport. Obviously, MLB, you know, they, they really need to market to their younger viewers if they want this sport to keep growing. And it, it's, it's really exciting to see guys like Trout and Judge in these commercials that maybe help grow the game a little bit more. They need to keep growing the game. They need to keep working hard on putting out these commercials and that social media presence. But seeing MLB ratings up makes me really happy personally. Well, absolutely, and it, it just means that's it's just better for the game, and, and especially they have to they're, they're losing a lot of money this year, so they have to do what they can to get some of that money back, and they have to get younger viewers, like you said, Trout and Judge. These are the faces of, of baseball, and they deservedly so. Although Judge can't seem to stay on the field, but that's another topic for another day. 
I do agree Mike Trout needs more exposure because that's the best player in the world, and he does not get nearly enough. Now, best player in the world for press box we have on the line right now, and that's going to be Stan the Fan. Charles, Stan, how are you today? That was a very very skilled uh, maneuver there. I saw what you did, you know, <laughs> kind of comparing me to Mike Trout, you know. I, uh, it's always I, good to suck up to the, the guy, you yeah, know. I learned from the best. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, man. It's a great weekend. It's my birthday tomorrow. We got um, Ravens playing tomorrow, Orioles playing. All the sports in the world are back right now, so it's we're having a good time, man. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. No, it was a rough day in the Bronx yesterday for the Orioles. Very oh, rough man. day. Just just an awful awful doubleheader stand. They uh they allowed seven earned runs in the first two innings in the first inning of each of the two games yesterday. Now, you and I were talking about this a little bit last night. The fact that there were no errors charged in that second game in the first inning, bit of a travesty. Um Keegan Aiken really victimized by his own team's poorest defense. So what did you see last night from uh, – because well, the blame's not I've completely got, off him. I've got to talk to Jim Henneman about that. And I, I had somebody over. We were having dinner, social distancing and keeping apart. But we were wa- both watching that, and we could not understand how Iglesias was not charged with an error uh, in game two. Um Look, you know, you, you knew Keegan Aiken. It wasn't going to be. Um, it, it wasn't like he was, you know, a, a top ten starting pitching prospect. So I mean, you knew at some point in time he would he would come unglued or exposed. And, and of course, the defense did not did not help him at all last night. It was just awful, awful. Uh, they they look like a high school team on that. Well, what, what's more, tr- what's more troubling to me is that two players, each in in one game, Alex Cobb in game one, and Chris Davis in game two, uh, they are sort of the, the past of the ball of the recent past of the ball club's mistakes, and they both kind of reared their ugly heads. Um, I don't know why Alex Cobb continues. And this is, I'm trying to not, you know, the old stand the fan when I was on the air in the old days took took things like that very personally and, and sort of attacked players personally. But Alex Cobb, uh, I, I know he's a great guy. Everybody that covers him on a daily basis tells me that. he is, I don't understand kind of what warrants Alex Cobb at this point coming back and not jumping in the bullpen to pitch a couple games where he's he's rounding into shape, where what he what he is as a pitcher today warned him just jumping in ahead of Wojciechowski, for example, or or Eshelman or anybody right now. He he had three good starts at the beginning of the year, and he's been absolutely awful since then. Um, and then in game two, while the defense really exposed the club and, and, and made it a rough, rough game, they were only down 4-1, to one, and they get the, the leadoff guys on that inning. And Chris Davis, you, you got a guy over to third base. Am I correct? They had a guy at third base? First and first third. And third first and, first and third. First and third, right? You've got to be able to, to plate that run. 
that gives your team a little bit of hope, out, yeah. you know. And and to me, his strikeout there, which was all too predictable, oh, yeah. is just, was just um, very deflating to to the the young guys on that team. Yeah, yeah and you know we you all, you hear every year. You hear, oh, is Chris Davis back? Because you hear about, oh, he did this in the offseason, he did that in the offseason. Even, you know, with the knee tendonitis, and they went back to the alternate training site down at Bowie, they, were, they said that he homered in a game down there. And you yeah. hear whispers, is he back? No, he's not back. His career is over. If, yeah. if, if he was thinking about retiring at the end of next year, he might as well be thinking about crawling into a hole somewhere this year because what he's done this year is nothing short it's, of a business. It's abysmal, it's embarrassing, and look, he again, I make the point each time, the Orioles are not going to be s- sort of given some type of charity walk away by Chris Davis, and by the way, let's remember that his agent is Scott Boris, okay? So right. it's not as if that they're going to say, you know, you owe us that $30 million in deferred money and you still owe us $40 million for the next two years. Give us twenty million and we'll walk away. If anything, the Orioles, as a franchise, are going to probably have to pay, in my opinion, ten million dollars more than the seventy they owe to get to get this guy to agree to to leave now and have a huge payday, one payday a year, like a la Bobby Bonilla, and the club will pay him like for twenty years. They'll pay him four million dollars a year. And that'll be eighty million dollars, but each year on the books, he'll show up as a four million dollar cost item, rather than sort of crippling what they can do over the next couple of years. And let's be also honest: the chances of the Angelos family really probably owning this team more than another couple of years, in my opinion, not not great. So it, it's it's an item that's passed on in a sale two or three years down the road that the new owner realizes he's got. He looks at this line item. What's this $4 million? Well, we had to get free of paying them $20 million the next couple of years. Uh, it's, a sad, it's a sad, and it's a cautionary tale, and every team in baseball has one of these guys. Yeah. You know? I mean, look at uh, Zimmerman with the, uh, the Tigers, you know. Look at Jacoby Ellsbury with the Yankees. Um, you know, I could, I could, I could spend fifteen minutes talking about David Robertson with the uh, Phillies. You know, uh, they're going to get nothing out of thirty-five million dollars over a two or three-year contract. So um, it's just sad to see him come up and kind of crap up what's been a really good role for the team lately. Hey, Stan. Zach Goodman. Um, hey, I'm, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I, I want to talk about the Orioles giving out their next big contract because at some point in this rebuild, it will have to happen in the next few years. Do you think that the Orioles will wait until Chris Davis is off their books to give out their next big contract? Um, that's that's a darn good question. Um, I wrote a piece for Pressbox about three weeks ago that went into print, which are five things I'd like to see the team do uh, before the, they start the season next year. And I know we're not talking about the same type of big contract that you were talking about, but I would like to see them sort of do something with Trey Mancini. Yeah. Uh, and, and that would be either a 
two-year or a three-year contract, not a monster deal, but something that would kind of guarantee Mancini's financial viability, you know, uh, and also do, do something that I think is the right thing by the player and by the team. Um, now, of course, I'd want to know, uh, you know, I'd be conferring with his doctors and all that, whatever you're allowed to by the HIPAA restrictions. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't just blindly do it. I'd want to know what his health situation is. But that's one contract. After that, I'm, I'm not quite sure I would also tear up Jose Iglesias' contract and try and get him for one or two more years. Shortstop is such a, an important position, and I don't think they can do much better for much cheaper than they've got him. You know, he's a guy who doesn't want a huge, you know, he's not a seven, eight million dollar a year ball player, I don't think. Uh, and they've got him on like a two year, seven million dollar deal. If you could, if you could maybe add another year or two for maybe another ten million dollars, that would be good. But I don't see them, uh, sometime in the very near future, um, locking anybody up. You know, because again, I think the I think the franchise is in a bit of a a volatile state, depending upon Mr. Angelos's real health condition. You know, I I agree with you, and I think that the players that they would consider locking up might not even be on the major league roster just yet, aside from Mancini. Uh, and so well, man, you know, look, we we all love what we've seen out of the first eighty at bats out of Ryan Mountcastle. So, I mean, if you really put my hand to the fire. I'm guessing Mountcastle would be the guy that's going to warrant something like that. You know, you and you would certainly. But, hope. but I think again, this current regime is going to be extremely careful um, about who and what they sign, what warrants a long-term contract. You know, because the club has all the control over Mountcastle for five years. Well, I, I agree with you. What, what I hearken back to is the handling of Manny Machado and Manny Machado was it had the uh, had the chance to be the greatest uh, homegrown talent in the history of the franchise and that that's saying something when you consider Brooks Robinson and Cal Ripken and uh, Eddie Murray um but they he hurt his knee in at the end of 2013 hurt his other knee in 2014 after his 2015 season, that's the time when you go to Manny Machado and you get an extension done. After the 2015 season, they they didn't do that. Um, they well, did. they were, you know, the history tells you that they were somewhat in the same ballpark, and at the last minute, the club backed off of it. And you know, I got to be honest with you. Look, that the combination. Look at the difference if they would have let Chris Davis walk and signed Manny Machado to an eight- or nine-year contract two years prior to that. The history of the franchise would probably be vastly different. I'm not so sure I really wanted Manny Machado, the personality, in my locker room for eight or nine more years. Uh, I wish him nothing but the best out in San Diego. But, uh, you know, but but again, he was an amazing talent, and they, they bet, look, they bet, and again, I'm hoping they'd line up Dan Duquette to get on on one of my show my Zoom shows in the next couple of weeks. I know for a fact that Dan Duquette was not in favor of signing Chris Davis, not in not in favor of the extension they gave Mark Trumbo, 
and would have never in a million years given Darren O'Day $32 million over four years. I'm inclined you know, to believe all, that. All three of those things factor mightily, along with the total you know, evaporation of Chris Tillman from a real solid number two starter to being useless. Um, you know, those four things really crippled the franchise. Well, yeah, and you, you look at how Dan Duquette operated when he was in Boston. It's it's not the not the same GM, and it just makes you believe that he was handcuffed. And it kind of you kind of see why he probably wanted out of here after that 2014 season. Now we're talking well, about. Well, remember the reason he wanted out after that season. First of all, he had probably you know he'd probably tired of dealing with dealing with Peter. You know, yeah. in other words, you don't just call up Peter. And, I, and look, I, I don't know how, how the owner is in Toronto. You know, I forget his name. The Rogers family owns that franchise. But I, I don't know how it is with the Steinbrenners, you know. But I, I've heard cautionary tales of how tough it was to really get in front of Peter when you needed to. Uh, and I'm sure he prioritized things differently. Uh, but when you're trying to make a trade or figure out a signing of somebody and you need to get in front of the boss, you don't have the real authority. And, and this is not a knock at ownership. Ownership does have the right to have the authority, but they have to understand that you have to move sometimes. You can't move at a snail's pace. You, you need to move in microseconds, you know, with an agent on the phone saying, look, I got this, you know, um, and it was very difficult. So, so that's why part. I think he was worn out dealing with Peter's management style, uh, and the job that he was offered in Toronto would have made him in a different position. You know, he would not have just been the general manager. He was going to be the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, vastly different job and uh, job description. Well, a couple of guys that Duquette drafted Ryan Mountcastle, DJ Stewart, having DJ Stewart especially recently, they're having they're having great rookie campaigns here. And it makes you wonder what the future of the Orioles outfield is gonna look like because right now it looks really crowded when you figure Stewart, Santander, Mountcastle, Hayes, Mullins, and the expected return of Trey Mancini, though I expect Mancini to play first base. A, what's the roster crunch going to be next year? And B, and I've talked about this in previous shows, what does that mean for Renato Nunez? Because he seems to be the odd man out when you really look at this team's roster going into next year. Yeah, uh, and this gets into the, the club's sort of long-term vision right now. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I talk so much about trying to sign Trey to, a two, you know, a two-year extension getting out of one a year of the uh, free agency is because I'd like to see them make a statement with him. But I, uh, if you if you put a gun to my head right now, I'd say they probably see Mancini being on the team next year because I don't think they can get a real value for him in a trade oh, coming off not. of a cancer situation. Um, and I see them thinking he's the first baseman next year and Nunez is kind of the DH, and then Nunez would be the first baseman after that, making far less than Mancini would get. I mean, that's the way I see it shaking down today, but I'm, I'm not quite sure. But you're right. 
there is a little bit of a crunch, but it's really interesting. Whatever happens next year, I mean, uh, the remainder of this year, next year when they go to spring training, if it's a real spring training, isn't it interesting how Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins have kind of flipped roles of now, like Cedric Mullins seems like a player, you know, somebody that can can lend a lot to your team, and Austin Hayes has moved back to being a little bit of suspect to me. I'm not convinced that Austin Hayes is your starting center fielder on the first day of spring training next year. I'm not, I, I think he has to come in and fight for his job. He's missed significant chunks of each of the last three seasons with injuries. Yep. Whether they're his fault or not, Cedric Mullins took, the, took advantage of his opportunity. He's, has proven to Cedric be Mullins has come back from the dead. Oh, you 100%. Know? I mean, uh, it's just and, – and seriously, we can sit here all we want and go, yeah, but eight of his hits, if you take those bun hits away – but you don't game. take those hits away, and they're as good as a line drive to center field, and they, they, you know, they spark the team. The one thing I, I'd really love to, for the club to do is get Al Bumry to work with Cedric Mullins on some some fielding details. I mean, that throw last night was a it was poor decision, um, and b it was really a not a good throw. Well, it's that that throw, and this is this comes from me having played outfield a lot in my life. Yeah. That throw was all about arm slot. He didn't have the proper arm slot, and that's how he ended up throwing it all the way up the third baseline because he tried to yep. he tried to overthrow it. Yeah. And it's it, like you said, if you get Al Bumbry or or I would love for Wayne Curry. Well, Al Bumbry had Al Bumbry actually had a weaker arm when he came up, um, but he learned to cut. He learned to, to shorten the angles on everything. He was very quick to the ball, you know, whether it was a hit or fielding the ball. He was quick. He was always moving in. His momentum was correct. And he had a terrible arm. But you know what? By releasing it right and correctly with his ability, he became very serviceable with his throwing arm. And he was a terrific center fielder for years. And there's no reason Mullins can't can't get better at that. And I don't know who's teaching him that, but it's, you know. And decision-making is part of it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would have been a throw in the first inning. That's a throw much better off just throwing it in, not trying to get the guy. He allowed two base runners to move in the scoring position. It was just terrible. In 2019, when Brandon Hyde got here, I think one of the first things he said in spring training to his players was, "You guys got to hit the cutoff, man. You may not win. Mm-hmm. A lot, you may not win a lot of games this year, but you've got to find yep. the fundamentals and you, you've got to make the plays that you need to make." And Cedric Mullins did make that. So yeah, the Orioles will probably find a, a coach or something to help him in the outfield. They sent him to a hitting instructor this December, which really seemed to help him a lot. So maybe an outfield coach could help those outfield struggles. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more with you, you know. But again, he has re- resurrected himself from the dead, um, you know. But but you make a you make a good point. But I got to be honest with you, Paul. That's that's what is that's when when teams start to turn the corner, they they probably all look at the Houston Astros. And I'm not comparing us per se to the Houston Astros, but you you've got talent sort of oozing out of every pore of the organization and I think we all realize while we've we've paid our respects to Dan Duquette that Mike Elias has done a good job at getting 
you know, like this Kevin Smith he picked up in the Castro deal. And all of a sudden, two years from now, we're gonna, you're going to go, wait a minute, but who's going to be the starters on this team? You know, and that's a great problem to have is having eight or nine guys that you've got in the organization that could be starters rather than going, oh, well, we got this Alex Cobb guy that we're paying this money to, and then we'll figure it out around him. Um, they're going to have some, you know, you can see the decisions coming down in two or three years where this club does have a lot of options in the rotation. They've got, and, and what you're pointing out, Paul, is true. They're going to have some options, uh, extra options, um, you know, going into spring training next year. Well, and, and let's talk about that a little bit, Stan, because I think that yesterday was a bit of a wake-up call that while the Orioles have been a lot more impressive and a lot better than people expected them to be this year, they're not quite there, right? They're, they're, no, they're, they're, not, they're, not even, they're not even really close. They're the fourth-best team in their division, right? and they're up against the fifth team, which will rearm fairly quickly, although I think with Chaim Bloom there, it might take them longer because I think he might do it kind of the right way rather than just start spending oodles of money right away. Right. You know? so. Well, they're not quite ready for the line yet, and, and, and that's yep. fine because this, this season has been, uh, uh, in my opinion, wildly successful. So you, I you, would agree. You look at the young guys who have come up and really led this resurgence of this ball club. You look at the young guys that they have in the minor league system, and we were talking 2023, 2024 for the rebuild to come to fruition for the Orioles to get back to a playoff caliber team. Does your timeline change at all with the emergence of these young players who are coming up and holding their own at the major league level right now? That's a that's a really interesting question, uh, and uh, you know one of the biggest parts of this season's success to me is we both know that next year, uh, God willing, we have a vaccine at some point that we can trust, you know, and that spring training is able to go off on time, and we get a hundred and sixty-two game season that starts April first and all that. Let's let's be honest; it's going to be very tough for some teams on a daily basis to attract fans and interest in their teams. It's just we, we're in a new, we are in a quote-unquote new normal, and part of that new normal is going to be a lot of people that are still out of work a year from now, a lot of people that just don't prioritize going to games with their money, you know, at the price point the tickets were at when the pandemic came. The Orioles have positioned themselves, in my opinion, that they've got, they're percolating some interest in the fans, you know, in the marketplace. And I don't know if that's reflective at all, guys, uh, Zach and Paul, on whether the ratings of Masson show that or not. But people I talk to that are hardcore fans, um, they, they're interested in seeing how Mountcastle's going to play out. Can DJ Stewart really do what he's done over the last seven days? Can he really do that? Um, you know, over the course of a season, can uh, Severino take another step? Um, you know, uh, Aiken and Dean Kramer, and they'll probably add another young pitcher next year will be in the mix. So uh, I think they've created some interest. So when you say it's been a wildly successful season, that to me is 
number one reason it's wildly successful is they've I think they've reengaged with some subset of their fans that are sort of curious to start to see these guys, you know. I I, I, I mean it's not it's not really hard to sort of change their name Moundcastle from Machado and sort of see that fans are interested in this guy Moundcastle the way they were interested in Machado the first year, you know. Yeah, and and he's arguably come up and hit better than Machado did as, yeah. as a rookie. Now he's you know four years older than Machado was when he came up, but that's besides yeah. that's besides yeah. the yeah. point. But it's it's interesting. I like that you brought that up that they're, they're engaging the fans right now because in a ten to one game yesterday, you have no reason to watch that game yet. Right. Lo- myself and a lot of other fans are locked into that game because we want to see DJ Stewart hit. We want to see Ryan Mountcastle hit and see what they do because it's exciting to see young players bring a new level of energy to your to your franchise. It's it's just fun and it's nice to be able to do that in the middle of September when otherwise you'd be you'd be ready for football to start. You know, real quick, and I know you got to go because you got a guest coming up, another yes, guest coming up. Um, it, it's it's. One of the things I would criticize the club about that I was expecting is on their broadcast, their TV broadcast, they, mm-hmm. they, they've they made these old habits at the ballpark front and center, the crab, the, you know, the crab shuffle and the, uh, <clears throat> the hot dog race. Yeah. I would have been far more interested in if they had done this six weeks ago of starting a dialogue with the fans almost on the broadcast, asking fans, what would you like to see new out at the ballpark? And they could have video, you know, they could have had somebody in a in an office with a Zoom taking these things by video and, and showing them during the games and getting people talking about what would regenerate some excitement out at the ballpark, you know? And I think they've missed an opportunity. And it, let's be honest, it's nice... First of all, I hate country boys. I've hated it for 20 (laughs) years, 30 years. But it's nice to have these old things. But those things weren't working to draw fans to the game. Nobody was going to the game to watch the hot dog race. Nobody was going to the game to see the crab shuffle. You know, Uh, and nobody's attending games now to see country boy. So it it was a really good time to me. And I'm not saying you would have had to throw all those things down the drain, but to ask fans what they'd like to see. And I think they missed that opportunity. Certainly to do does. sort of a, a running focus group for, for two, two and a half, three months. Certainly yeah. does seem like a missed opportunity. But you know, Stan, they've really sh- uh, shaken up the entire broadcast team over there. So, you know, maybe they're looking to shake up the social media and uh, the advertising. All that. Maybe, you, maybe you have a future with them. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> all right, yeah, hey, thanks for joining us. Have a great show. week. Have a great week. You're doing a good job. Thank thanks, you, thanks guys. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you See you, Zach. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Stan the Fan, Charles, doing his weekly segment for us here on the Battle Round. And if you are missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. 
Coming up this Monday night at 8, Stan and Ross will chat with Gary Kendall, who's been running the Orioles' alternate training site this season in Bowie. So that's going to be a good show. Don't miss it. That's this Monday night at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com. we got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to have Ryan Blake, who's an amateur scout. Uh, He's going to be on here to talk about some Orioles prospects. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Lynn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We are hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. 
All right, we are back on the bat around once again. I'm Paul Valley, and with me, as always, in studio is Zach Goodman. Thanks for tuning into our show today. On the line, we've got somebody who did something that I consider to be very, very brave. Uh, and we have Ryan Blake. And first and foremost, Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to be on the show. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Yeah, we've been trying to get you on for for a few weeks now because you have a, a keen uh, scouting eye, even if you are an amateur scout. Um, you're, and I trust your opinion on some prospects. And when I say that what you did was brave, about this time last year, you packed up all your stuff, not a ton of money, not a job, and you took off for Arizona to achieve your dream of becoming a professional baseball scout. Something that... You know, I, I wish I would have had the balls to do something like that, to make something more <laughs> of, of my career. It's scary, man. It's, it's Change is scary yeah. regardless, and to do something like that is absolutely terrifying, and yet you wanted to achieve your dreams. You said the only way I'm going to do it is to do it, and you left your house, and you went out to Arizona, and you tried to make something of yourself. Tell us a little bit about what that process was like. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you use the word terrifying, and that's that's exactly what it was. You know, I... Uh, I didn't have a specific plan. Uh, yeah, I had a general idea of what I wanted to do was, you know, break into scouting. Um, but I didn't have as much money saved up as I should have. Uh, I didn't have a place to live. I was going to go live in an Airbnb for at least the first month, and I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Uh, I didn't have any real connections. I didn't have any experience. I just kind of decided that it was something I wanted to do, and I didn't want to be stuck in the restaurant industry forever. So I quit my job and moved across the country. And, uh, it was scary. I, you know, I was I was pretty comfortable out there right away. A big part of that was I found a, a Ravens bar in Scottsdale where we nice. gathered every Sunday to watch the game, uh, and I felt really welcome there. But uh, in terms of the baseball side of it, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was going to Arizona Fall League games and taking my own notes, writing my own scouting reports, and uh, you know, just trying to figure out my way and try to meet some people along the way. And uh, went out to the winter meetings in San Diego to make some connections and. You know, things were going relatively solid. You know, I, I could have been doing a little better, but things were going okay until COVID hit and everything got canceled, and I, I kind of had to come back home. So you know, I'm kind of in limbo right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I had a dream, and I decided I wanted to follow it. And, it, you know, it took some guts, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I at least got the ball rolling with it. Now, Ryan, you mentioned that you went out to the winter meetings at San Diego and went to that job fair. I did that in 2016 I went to, when they had it down at the um, – at the Gaylord Hotel down in um, National Harbor. I went yeah. to the winter meetings. I went to the job fair. And I, I got to tell you, man, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. There's there's like a 1,000 people there all looking for jobs in baseball. You, can, you hand in your resume. You have probably 100 copies of your resume. You put them in every team's mailbox, and it's, are they going to talk to you? And I, I got to be honest, no, I didn't know how to write a resume back then. I, my my both of my parents are in the medical field, so my resume looked like that of somebody trying to get a job in medicine, not trying to get a job in sports. No, nobody talked to me. I went down yeah. there for four days. Nobody talked to me. It's a scary. It's a scary experience, man. Well, I actually didn't even do the job fair. Um, I, oh, wow, okay. I talked to some people who had been to the winter meetings before, and uh, they told me that you know there there are two ways you can go about it. Uh, number one is the job fair, and like you said, that's kind of a, a rush of, you know, everybody just throwing their resume at whoever will take it. Um, and I was kind of pushed in the direction of just email people ahead of time and try to set up your own individual meetings. 
so I sent out about 300 emails uh, to anybody who I went through every front office directory online, and I anybody who had some variation of scouting in their title, I sent them the same copy of an email, changed the whatever team name they worked for uh, in the body of the email to reflect that, included a copy of my resume and a uh, I guess a certificate from the uh, the, the week long scouting school I participated in out in Arizona, and um, I got about 60 responses. Probably some of them wow. were you know. I won't be there, but good luck. Some of them were, I can forward this to somebody higher up than me. Uh, and, you know, there were a few positive responses. So all in all, I got to meet with about representatives from nine different teams, I believe it was. Uh, I also met with someone from Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus and, you know, a few other people there. Uh, but it was really just an opportunity for me, not necessarily to apply to jobs because I didn't feel like I was qualified, but just to make some connections and get to know some people. And I really had a blast. You know, it was it was a little harder for me setting up my own meetings and, you know, trying to work around other people's schedule. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it, there's baseball people all around, and it's, even if you're not going to apply for a job, it's, it's an experience, you know. I'd recommend any base, baseball fan at some point in your life at least go and sit in the lobby. You know, you might get to shake hands with a Peter Gammons or a Jim Tomey or a Harold Reynolds or, you know, whoever's walking by. Yeah, man, when I, when I went down there, that was the coolest part the winter meetings was seeing all those big personalities you know seeing you know um what's his name russo who does who does the high heat show and i saw i ran into billy ripkin who used to be a neighbor of mine and we talked for about 10 minutes and you see peter gammons there and ken rosenthal who's you know not to hail on but he's shorter than you would think um (laughs) you know just this is coming from a guy who's not very tall you know what I mean? So it, yeah, it's, it, it definitely was a fun experience. If you ever get a chance to go to the winter meetings, I definitely recommend it. Just it, just go just to go. Don't The, the, the job fair might be a little overwhelming, um, but just go just to go because it's a ton of fun. Now, you mentioned that uh, you were kind of had some things in the works, and then COVID shut everything down, and you're kind of in limbo right now. You were set to begin writing for Prospect Live, right? And then the shutdown right. happened? Yeah, I was actually I was on my, I had, I was trying to finish my debut article. Um, and I, I had to leave. I was I was about to be late for work, so uh, I went to work. And uh, right as I got to work, it was when the announcement was made that uh, that spring training was canceled until further notice. Uh, you know, reports were trickling in from you know the NBA and National Hockey League and you know college baseball leagues and and, and high schools all over the place that that everything was just being shut down, and we didn't know how long that was going to last. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I was almost finished my article. It was going to be uh, some storylines I was looking forward to this season. Um, and I, I actually really liked that article. I was working on it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able You know, I didn't bother submitting it because I was like, well, we don't know when the season's going to start. We don't know if we're going to have a season. Uh, so I've, I've just been kind of kind of waiting for things at this point. I was able to write a little uh, recap of the Orioles draft. That's the only thing I've published for them so far. But uh, I've, I've been in touch with our editor and, I'm still kind of, I've kind of been a fly on the wall in their their, uh, you know, their group chats and trying to trying to learn from them. So it's 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 been good so far. Very cool, very cool. Well, we're we're going to give you an opportunity here to give us a scout's take on uh, some of these players that the Orioles have acquired, some of the players at their training site and at the Major League roster. Let's start with that Michael Givens trade. Um, Nets to the Orioles, Taron Vavra and Tyler Nevin. Uh, let's start with Taron Vavra. It seems like he has an excellent hit tool profile more as a second baseman at the Major League level. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's kind of a well-rounded player. There's, there's nothing that really stands out in terms of his profile, um, aside from his, uh, his approach at the plate, which isn't really considered a tool. It kind of plays into the hit tools. Some people value that differently than others. 
Um, but he's, he's a guy that, that walks just about as much as he strikes out. And those are the kind of prospects that I tend to fall in love with, because especially at a younger age, it's hard to have that kind of plate discipline. Um, so that's something that, that's very appealing to me. Uh, Vavra and Nevin both in that, in that given deal, the Orioles got guys who have solid approaches at the plate and have baseball bloodlines. Uh, Vavra's uncle, I believe, is a hitting coach with the Tigers, and Tyler Nevin's father, obviously Phil Nevin, who played many, many years. Uh, so they've got baseball in their blood. Uh, but in, in terms of Vavra, like I said, there's nothing that really, really stands out, but he's very well-rounded. Um, you know, he's, he's going to hit for decent average. He's going to hit for decent power. He's going to get on base. He'll play solid defense. And uh, because of that ability, I think he's got a solid floor as a utility guy. Um, you know, looking through the Orioles system, I think it's too early to tell if, if Jordan Westberg will stick a shortstop. Um, I think that uh, Gunnar Henderson uh, certainly has a solid chance to do that. Um, but looking through the pipeline, I would I would argue that Vavra is uh, probably the favorite to be our, our long-term second baseman based on what we have now. That's 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 what I've been hearing throughout the uh, industry is that, that where, that's where he profiles at. Now, Tyler Nevin, of course, you mentioned the pedigree that he has with his dad, Phil Nevin, having played in the majors for a long time, big-time slugger for about five years out there in San Diego. Does he kind of profile as the same player, or is he a little bit more athletic? Uh, I would say he's a little bit more of an athlete. Uh, he, you know, he, he once was a borderline top 100 guy. He was the, uh, the Rockies' number three prospect at one point. Um, and he, he used to be more of a guy who was contact over power, and uh, more recently the hit tool has, has struggled a little bit, uh, and he's a little bit more power over contact. Uh, but he's one of those prospects who's going to have to hit for power if he wants to stick around. Um, he profiles as uh, you know, a solid first baseman, uh, he could play average third, and he's a guy you could plug in in a corner outfield if you really need to, uh, you know. That and that speaks to his, his athleticism. But um, he's really going to have to hit some, you know, some gap to gap power and some home run power if he wants to um, to really stick. But he's a guy who's got a, a decent ceiling, and uh, you know, because of that power ability, a solid enough floor uh, that, that he's a good depth piece to have in your organization. Absolutely, and it does seem to me like the Orioles got a pretty solid haul for. Uh, for Michael Givens, who is a, a, right around 30 years old, for a 30-year-old reliever to get two young players who could be parts of, of your rebuild, I think is a, is a big deal. Um, now then, the Orioles also made a deal right before the trade deadline uh, passed, uh, sending Cat, uh, Miguel Castro, another reliever, to the Mets in re- exchange for Kevin uh, Kevin Smith. Six foot five lefty, but doesn't throw all that hard. How does he profile at the major league level? Uh, what do you see from him? Yeah, so Smith's a guy who I think there's a little bit of reliever risk there, um, but overall, you know, he's got three at least average pitches. Uh, his slider is what really stands out. Uh, his fastball is decent, but his, his slider is what's going to get you. And the changeup is decent enough. Um, you know, he's got good spin rates on his pitches, uh, which you know it, it helps him get swings and misses in the zone. Uh, but anytime you can get a guy like that for a, a relief pitcher, especially one who was at, at peak value like Castro was, I mean, that's that's just a no-brainer. Um, in terms of his profile, like I said, he's a, he's a three-pitch guy, um, and I think he's got a, a kind of a similar profile to Zach Lowther. Um, not necessarily in his build or uh, his, his repertoire. Zach, uh, you know, Lowther throws a curveball, Smith doesn't. But um, in terms of a guy who's going to throw strikes and doesn't walk a ton of guys and, and just knows, knows how to work the zone, knows how to pitch. Um, and when you're in a, a situation like the Orioles are, you can never have enough guys who profile as a potential, you know, four or five starter and the Orioles seem to be piling up on those guys and you know not all of them are going to work out but if a couple of them do and you've got some decent rotation pieces there that's that's pretty solid 
Hey, Ryan, it's Zach Goodman. Um, I, I know you saw Dean Kramer in the Arizona Fall League, and you were tweeting about how impressed you were with him. Is what you saw in his last Major League start kind of similar to what you saw in the Fall League? Hey, Zach, yeah, I, I'm a big Dean Kramer guy. Uh, I had him ranked, let's see, i gotta, I got to pull up my prospect rankings here. I had Kramer as high as eighth uh, in my prospect rankings um, after the draft, and uh, I had Aiken down at 13. Um yeah, Kramer's a guy I, I really love because he's willing to throw any pitch in any count. Uh, we saw that in a start with the Yankees. He was throwing curveballs, you know, when he was behind in the count. He was throwing 0-0. Uh, so he, he's a guy who really, really likes to mix his pitches, and he's got four pitches that, that all can play at the major league level. Uh, you know, his fastball isn't, isn't explosive. I think he, he topped out at 95 in his Yankee start. I think that was a little bit of adrenaline because mm-hmm. uh, I see him sit normally 92-93, touching 94 sometimes. Um, but that fastball plays up because of his ability to throw that, that curveball on any count. Uh, so hitters, and I think we saw in, in the Yankees game, you know, hitters were, were ready for that curveball, and because of that, you know, we saw guys like Clint Frazier and Luke Voigt and DJ LeMahieu having trouble catching up to the fastball, even though it was only around the 94-95 range. So um, Kramer's ability to pitch and, and locate his pitch as well, he works both sides of the zone, um, and we didn't even see a whole lot of his changeup, which is... is I wouldn't say quite an average pitch, but it's it's decent enough as a fourth offering. Um, we saw that slider that he's really been hammering out. It's kind of turned into more of a cutter, but uh, he told me in, in October that he was really trying to work on that slider and, and get it where he wanted it to be. And uh, we saw it as a, as a really effective third pitch uh, to complement the fastball and the, and the curveball there. Yeah, Dean Kramer certainly profiles uh, as an exciting young prospect for the Orioles, somebody that everybody's really excited about, especially after a one-hitter in his Major League debut against the New York Yankees last Sunday. Another guy um, that we weren't expecting much from this year who's really taken off over the last week is DJ Stewart. and He started the year uh, 0 for 17 with 10 or 11 strikeouts. Next thing you know, he's got six home runs. He's 10 for his last 20. I don't know how much, Ryan, you got to see DJ Stewart play uh, in his minor league career, but are you seeing anything different from him that's brought about these positive results for him? You know what? I hadn't seen a whole lot from him in his minor league career, and I, I don't really know what to make of him. You know, he's uh, he struggled very, very mightily at the beginning of the season, went back down to Bowie, uh, must have made some adjustments because now he's, he's Babe Ruth. Right. Um, and I, I actually I fell asleep after his home run in Game 2 yesterday, so... Uh, don't don't spoil it. Don't tell me what happened in the rest of game two because I have a pretty fond memory of it so far. Yeah, don't uh, don't watch, man. <laughs> just just, just st- stick with the top of the first, and that's it, man. Don't watch. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm satisfied with that. But um, you know, like I said, I, I don't really know what to make of him. You know, as long as he he seems to have made an adjustment that's working for him, and he's always been a guy who can get on base via the walk. Uh, he's he's a little similar to Chance Cisco in that regard. Not you know not hitting for a ton of average, but but getting on base in other ways. Um, in, in terms of his mechanics, I haven't really had an opportunity to really break him down. Um, but, you know, the Orioles must be doing something right at Bowie because we see it with DJ Stewart. Uh, we saw them hold Ryan Mountcastle down there for a while, and now he's tearing the ball up. Uh, so whatever they seem to be doing at Bowie is, is working as long as your name's not Chris Davis. Oh, man, we won't even get into Chris Davis because we, we're, we're going to do an Orioles banter segment after our next break, and we're going to talk about him a little bit there. But uh, no, but that's the most fun and exciting part about this, se- this season, Ryan, has been seeing these young prospects like Mountcastle and Stewart and Hunter Harvey, Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer. I mean, that's eight guys I listed right there who are all key parts 
of this Orioles team this year that's overachieving, and it, it, it's just exciting, and it makes you believe in the process because these are all guys who were, you know, they, they were prospects, but we didn't know what kind of prospects they really were last year. Now they're coming up here, and they look like world beaters. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's exciting for sure. You know, there's, there's strong vibes from that 20, 2012 team that, uh, you know, had no business being as good as they were. And uh, sure enough, that you know, they, they had some luck in one-run games and extra innings, but, you know, it was a team that never, never gave up, never forgot the fight. And uh, this team is very similar to that. And like you said, there are a lot of guys who may be overperforming a little bit right now, but it, it kind of forces you to trust the process. And if you weren't a believer in the, the revamped Orioles developmental system, uh, you know, before this season, I don't, I don't know how you can't be now. I mean, it, it, it looks like whatever they're doing is leaps and bounds better than, you know, what was happening before Elias and company got here. Uh, absolutely, man. They're, they're, what What's happening with this team is just so pleasant to see because, you know, I, you and you and Zach are both considerably younger than I am. So I, I remember when the Orioles lost for 14 years, the worst part of that of that that 14 years of losing was there was no plan. There was no plan. You just entered every season having no clue the direction of the ball club other than they're probably going to finish in last place. We are two years into this rebuild, three years of losing baseball, and well, basically four, and we can look at this team and we see a direction and we see we see that it's going to bear fruit just based on this year alone, and that's the most exciting part. And speaking to that, I know you got to run, man, so this is the last question I'm going to ask you. A little bit earlier this year, I believe it was you, I gave you a little bit of guff because you said that the Orioles were still five years away um, from from doing anything. And in my mind, seven years... It, it, it was way earlier this year on Twitter, <laughs> and you said it to somebody in passing in a, in a comment about it being five years, and I was like, man, it can't be five years, unless I'm mistaking you with Eric Arditi. But I don't no, th- you know what? I, I do think I remember that. I think I vaguely recall that. I, I, I was trying to be not... Overly I, I learned as an Orioles fan to, yeah, to not be super optimistic. Uh, I was trying to think, you know, realistically, when are we legitimate contenders? And I think that's why I said five years down the road. Right. And I, I'm, I'm happy to eat my words. And I, and, I had, and I had said to you, that would be seven years of a rebuild, which to me is an epic failure. Now we're looking at this team, and you just said you'd be happy to eat your words. So does that mean that you put the timeline as less than five years from now where you where is your in other words where is your timeline for this rebuild for this orioles team getting back into contention man i mean if you take a look at at the guys who have already come up through the pipeline and, and are performing and then you consider that you know guys like dl hall and grayson rodriguez are you know working their way towards hopefully anchoring our rotation um rushman is is hitting really well at the alternate site from everything i've heard Nice. Uh, you know, we've got Heston Kierstad coming up, and I think he'll be a pretty quick riser uh, as long as he doesn't strike out a whole lot, you know, coming up through the system. Um, there are guys who I think are ready to ready to compete now. Um, you know, I, and we've shown that this year we can flirt with being a 500 team. So based on that and based on, you know, the way our player development team has shaped up and with the talent that we have left in the pipeline that we haven't even seen yet, I don't know how you can look at this team and say it's, it's still going to be five years. Um, so, I, you know, realistically, you know, I, I think in the next year or two, we're, we're legitimately fighting for a wild card spot and not talking about it as we are this year in terms of it being, you know, just pure luck. 
Yeah, I know you got to run, Ryan, but I, I think when the Orioles can make bad players look good and play well, then that you know the rebuild is coming to a to an end sometime soon. Yeah, it's 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 very very exciting, and you know I, I missed playing meaningful September baseball and being disappointed when they lose games. I oh, really yeah. did miss that feeling. Uh, I was I was I was beside myself upset after that loss to the Mets on Wednesday night, and then I thought to myself, it's the first week of September, and I'm upset about an Orioles loss because it knocks him further out of contention, which is just, it's just awesome. And it hasn't been that long, but it feels like it has since they were last in the playoffs. Exactly. And one last thing I want to say before I, I jump ship here. Um, I know that uh, there are different rumors floating around about how the, the MLB draft order will be determined for next year. Yeah. And I don't have any inside information on this, but I just want to say that if for whatever reason they do decide to combine uh, this year's and last year's record, the Orioles could conceivably make the playoffs this year and still land a top three pick in the draft. Oh, so just throwing awesome. that out there is something that would be very, very exciting. I don't think that's the way they're going to do it, but it's. I think it's still at least somewhat of a possibility, and uh, that, that could be a lot of fun for us. I, I just assumed they were going to go based off the record this year. I hope not, because then it, I, I think a team like the Red Sox is obviously tanking, so, so they can go yeah. get a guy like Kumar Rocker, and then, although I don't know that they'll get him. Um, so, and they can get right back to being a $200 million ball club that competes for World Series next year. So, Ryan, yeah. thanks thanks so much for joining the program. I know you got to run. We really appreciate you giving us some time today. Yeah, thank you, guys. I had a blast. Looking forward to the next one. All right, man. Enjoy the football game tomorrow, man. We'll talk soon. You too. Go, Bird. All right, see you. All right, that was Ryan Blake. He writes uh, temporarily on, on hiatus, hopefully from Prospect Live, but uh, should be writing an amateur scout there for us, talking about some Orioles minor league players. We just mentioned, hope he has a good time watching football tomorrow. Do you need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Press Box's own Ken Zalas is the number three-ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Guys, we got to get a break. When we come back, we'll do the payoff pitch around the league, and we're going to talk about some Orioles baseball in our Orioles banter segment. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. 
If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash Sports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long. That's Pressbox's Project Game Day every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's have you Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Alright, welcome back to the Battle Round. You're watching us Hopefully watching us at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxSportsOnline.com. Um, and PressBox, right now, they're doing something that's pretty cool. They're, they're doing something that's pretty cool. If you look over at my co-host, Zach, here, um, I pointed to my to my left because he's to my left, but on the screen, he's to my right. Uh, he's wearing a mask. He's wearing it's purple, Maryland flag, purple and orange for Ravens and Orioles. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. So I mentioned Pressbox is doing a cool thing. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange one you see Zach wearing, a Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback. And an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. I can't emphasize that enough. They're decorative masks. They are not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams. And they're respectful to, to those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. Masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. 
It's a nice looking mask, Zach. You look like you're ready to rob a bank, but you look really good doing so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, but honestly, if, if you see people wearing masks like this all the time. I told him he looked like a, like a real Pat Valeka with that mask on. These are the best kind of masks. They're comfortable. They, they're, they're breathable. I have one here. I just didn't put it on because I didn't have time to uh, be in the break. But go out to pressbox.com uh, slash mask and get yours now because, like, it, like the live read said, it is respectful. Let's do it and, you know, have some fun doing so. All right, we're going to get to our Orioles banter part of the program in just a minute but first and foremost it is now time for the payoff pitch around the league joey Votto hit a 442 foot two run home run in the first inning to prove to be the difference in the game as the reds beat the cardinals three to one all the scoring came in the sixth inning in Chicago's south side, with Detroit scoring three times in the top half and the White Sox responding with four runs in the bottom half capped by a three-run homer by eloy jimenez as the chai Sox held off the tigers four to three Meanwhile, the Northsiders, the Cubs, were held to just two hits in Milwaukee as Brandon Woodruff tossed seven shutout innings with 12 Ks and no walks, and the Brewers needed every bit of that start to pick up the victory one to nothing. The Athletics scored eight runs in the game's first three frames, and Matt Olson drove in five to lead the way to the A's, to lead the way to the A's victory over the Rangers 10 to six. After going homerless in his first 40 games, Alberto Mondesi homered for the third time in five games while driving in two to lead the Royals over the Pirates 4-3. Nate Lowe homered twice and drove in four, and the Rays snapped a three-game losing streak, defeating the Red Sox 11-1. Is it Nate Lowe and then they have a Brandon Lau? Brandon Lau, I, yeah. I, I'm, I was racking my brain last night. I'm like, which one? I was like, I think he's Brandon Lau and Nate Lowe. Michael Conforto, Dominic Smith, and Wilson Ramos all homered and drove in four runs apiece, and the Mets used a 10-run fourth inning to handle the Blue Jays 18-1. 18-1. We've seen some wild scores. The Braves won a game the other day 29-9, and it completely um, negated the fact that the Brewers won a game 19 to nothing that day, and nobody talked about it. And, and Tommy Malone gave up eight runs in that start. The, the, he had, they still won. Yeah, and, and they still won 29-9. That was last week, though. Despite receiving three walks, Juan Soto still managed to record two hits and drive in three to guide the Nationals over the Braves in 12 innings, 8-7. to seven. In Game 1 of their doubleheader, Andrew McCutcheon and Reese Hoskins each homered and drove in three, and Aaron Nola tossed a seven-inning complete game with 10 Ks to beat the Marlins 11 to nothing. In Game 2, the Marlins scored three times in the fourth inning and held off the Phillies 5-3. to three. Trailing 4-3, heading into the home half of the ninth, the Rockies scored five runs, capped by a walk-off grand slam off the bat of Charlie Blackman to beat the Angels 8-4. I tuned into that game. It was bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, two outs, and a 3-1 count on Blackman. And I said to my fiancé, he's going to walk him. Nope, he absolutely mushed. I tuned in just enough to see him mush a grand slam into the right center field gap to win that game 8-4. Literally nobody had more than one hit or one RBI for either team, and neither started did anything noteworthy. The Diamondbacks won a run-to-the-mill ball game over the Mariners 4-3. If you want some excitement, former Oriole Christian Walker did hit a triple and drove in a run. I guess we could have said that the Diamondbacks scored three runs in the first inning and held off the chippy Mariners 4-3, but what a boring game. I mean, just looking at the box score to me, it was a boring game. Nobody really stood out offensively or defensively. So that's the final score of last night's um 
around the league. Diamondbacks four, Mariners three. Zach, what do we have on tap of Major League Baseball today? A lot of good games as always. Uh, starting, there's only one 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 o'clock game today, and that is the O's and the Yankees who are fighting for a playoff spot still. Going on to five o'clock, the Rangers and the A's, one of baseball's best teams versus one of the worst. Going on to six o'clock, many matchups here. NL East matchup between the dominating Braves and the last place Nats. A third place Marlins matchup between the second place Phillies, two teams that are surprising everyone this year. An interleague showdown between the Mets and the Jays. The Jays will look to stay hot. An AL East matchup between the struggling Red Sox and the unbeatable Rays. Going on to 7 o'clock, we have a matchup between two bottom-dwelling teams in the Pirates and the Royals. A rivalry of the Cubs and the Brewers. The Brewers stay in that playoff hunt. Two very young teams go at it in the Tigers and the White Sox. Going on to eight uh, the 8 o'clock hour, we have Game 2 of the Cubs and A's doubleheader. Two teams battling for second place in the Central, the Indians and the Twins. An electric matchup of the top-tier Astros and the Dodgers. And the Mariners battle the Diamondbacks. Mariners will battle for that final playoff spot with the O's and the Yankees as well. Still staying at 8 o'clock, we have Trout's disappointing Angels battling Blackman's Rockies. And finally at 8 o'clock, the Reds and the Cardinals go at it. The Cardinals are only a few games out of first place. Finally, a 9 o'clock matchup with the West Coast battle of the Padres and the Giants. They play the final game that night. That was a mouthful, man. Sure that was is. a mouthful. Sure that was a mouthful. I was like, come up for air, Zach. <laughs> All good. So, Orioles, they dropped those two games to the Yankees yesterday. Oh, man, there was they were the games were hard to watch. I expected Garrett Cole to come out and do what he did last yesterday. He, he the Orioles kind of embarrassed him in his last start against him. Um he came out, struck out nine. They had no chance. They had two hits. One of them was in the last inning. Uh, just really absolutely dominated the Orioles. Same thing in the second game. You know, we talked about the defense at length and Chris Davis getting a start, which he probably didn't deserve. But honestly, during the first game, I told I told the person I was watching the game, I was like, Davis is going to start game two. I guarantee it. And he did. And he did what Chris Davis does, overthrew the strikeout. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. One of the cool things about this series, though, is we get to see Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald in the broadcast booth. And, you know, God loves Scott Garceau. He's, he's struggled a little bit with his broadcast, and I'm not, I'm not hating on the man. You know, he's, he's calling these games. They're all calling these games, um, road games from Camden Yards, watching a monitor, basically watching the same thing that we're watching at home. And it's, it's easier said than done to call that. So... But we love Kevin Brown in the booth. Zach, you brought this up to me a little bit ago. You love Kevin Brown in the booth. Yeah, he's fantastic. I like a lot of the, the commentators that the Orioles have brought in. I like Melanie Newman a lot. Jeff Arnold's great, too. Uh, and, and Kevin is fantastic. All of whom have been on our show, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and Ben McDonald and Mike Bordick are, are two good color analysts. I would like to see Bordick get back in the booth a little bit. He's been on the on the postgame show a little bit. And Melanie Newman, I'd like to see her get in the booth as well. Um, the Orioles have brought in a lot of young talent. And obviously, there's Scott Garceau as well. So they got a nice broadcasting crew. It doesn't look like Gary Thorne will be returning this season or even maybe next season yeah what's going on with that i didn't get a chance to read dan Connolly's article about that but they, they they struck a deal with gary thorne for the rest of this season in august they said he's gonna be part of some games not calling the games but he would do like a zoom call and he hasn't and there's no he said that there's no date set up for him and we don't even know that he'll be back next year which would be look i'm not i've never been the biggest Gary Thorne play-by-play fan and look don't chastise me for this you know he he makes some mistakes in the booth it's the same reason that people are you know having a hard time with Scott Garcelle mispronouncing names not showing the correct enthusiasm on on certain plays 
but his, his dynamic with Jim Palmer has been phenomenal, and it's something that really, during some really bad losing Orioles baseballs game, baseball games and seasons, it's been a breath of fresh air to have he and Jim Palmer in the booth and really just bringing a lightheartedness to the broadcast. And I think that's what people miss about Gary Thorne. Do you have any insight into what's going on with him? Yeah, so I read a little bit of Connolly's article, and it sounds like they made a deal and they wanted to have Thorne come on some Zoom calls just like Jim Palmer's done the past couple weeks. And it sounds like it just didn't happen. They just don't really want to have that happen this season. I'm not sure the specifics of it. It wasn't really laid out. But it sounds like there is a very bleak possibility now that he will even be back for 2021, which, like you said, it's going to disappoint a lot of people. I personally like him. I've loved, you know, I've, I've grew up listening to Gary Thorne with the Orioles. But in the past years, he has made some mistakes, and he's mispronouncing a little bit of names. And he's getting on the uh, on the older side, of course. But I think he's a fantastic broadcaster. I wish they would have him back, and I'm kind of disappointed about that. Well, it's certainly fun to hear Gary Thorne call games, and he's always mispronounced names. I, Aaron Carinaris, Aaron. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he, he's always done that. It's gotten to a point now, and we all remember the call with uh, Albert Pujols grounding out to third base. We won't say it because it's it's – politically incorrect it was it was a funny slip of the tongue but we're not trying to be insensitive here another guy and this is a guy who, who was like a mentor to me I, i've known him since i was 12 years old um two lived two houses up for me when i was when i was growing up in my adolescence and that's jim hunter and jim hunter and i work out at the same gym now i haven't seen him in quite a while um but i was talking to him back in february at the or march back at the athletic club and he didn't really know what the Orioles' plan was for him. He said that they weren't, that he wasn't going to be calling games. That he was going to be doing some pregame and postgame stuff, and maybe some sideline reporting type stuff. Um, even though there aren't sidelines in baseball, but that's besides the point. Um, but he hasn't had, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything for the Orioles, and I know they're paying him. Um, it, it might be the same thing with Gary Thorne. You wonder if he'll be back next year. I, I, I hate to speculate, so I won't. It's just the, the Orioles have done a lot of shaking up with that with their broadcast team all the way around, uh, and they've gotten younger. Uh, when you look at Kevin Brown and Jeff Arnold and Melanie Newman and uh, Brett Hollander, and Brett Hollander's been a name in Baltimore sports for quite a while now, so he deserved the opportunity. Um, I, I, I like Jim Hunter. I like Gary Thorne. I hope that that they're back with the ball club. If if they aren't, I I won't say I'm not disappointed. But, you know, that's just the way of the game. That's the way of everything. Everything gets younger these days. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of odd how they took Jim Hunter from a huge role to almost no role. We don't even see him on the O's post. Not even almost no role. He has no role. Right. He basically has no role, which is kind of interesting. I I like Jim Hunter. Uh, You know, I, I did prefer Gary Thorne over Jim Hunter a little bit, but I really like that duo. I thought they were great. Um, and, and Jim Palmer, of course, is fantastic, too. I really hope he, he decides to stay on. But like Gary Thorne, I'm not sure what the Orioles' plans are. And I wasn't speculating, really, about Gary Thorne not coming back in, in 21. It's kind of point blank what Connolly said in his article is that they really don't think he's coming back. Yeah, and that's that's a shame. See, again, I, I subscribe to The Athletic. I, Dan Connolly was on the show last week. I've just been well, – we're having people over the house – tomorrow um to socially distanced of course to watch the ravens game and celebrate my birthday i won't tell you how old i am because i think i look younger and i don't want to talk about it um but so we've just been for the last the the entire week just been prepping the house my dad's coming into town today so really just no opportunity to read anything really um but it's it's, it would be a shame if gary thorne isn't back and that's the send-off that they give him is here's your money 
we're not going to use you. I, I hope that's not the case. I hope that is not the case. Now, man, we spent so much time talking about that. We didn't really get to do any kind of Orioles banter. we got to get Glenn Clark on the line in about five minutes. A um, couple of things I do want to talk about. Chris Davis, man, and I told you, I texted you last night. I wrote in my notes before, in the first inning yesterday, I wrote down Chris Davis over 3 2Ks. And I was close. Over 3, 1K, a weak pop-up, a ground ball into the shift. Um, they looked like he hit decently hard to his credit, you know, but it was into the shift. I think the shift is the number one culprit for uh, destroying Chris Davis's career. Stan told me, uh, told us on the show a couple of weeks ago, he thought that Chris Davis had played his last game in an Orioles uniform, and then we see him in game two of the doubleheader yesterday. What the hell, man? L- like, and, and Stan mentioned it. He came up, Orioles are down 4-1 in the second inning. There's runners on first and third, one out. Davis comes up, and predictably he strikes out, kills a rally. You know, God love him. Good man. Donated a ton of money. To, to charities last year, three million I think to the Children's Hospital, yeah. uh, and really good dude for all intents and purposes, but really bad baseball player, and it just it sucks, it sucks because two out of three years he was one of the most feared hitters in the game. He had 53 home runs in 2013, 47 in 2015 to lead the majors both of those years, 30 33 home runs in 2012, 38 uh, 38 in 2016, and. You want to watch every at-bat because you're hoping. Nobody in Baltimore wants this guy to fail. Everybody in Baltimore, I think it's unanimous, everybody in Baltimore wants to see this guy do well because he's such a good dude and he was such a huge part of that Orioles run from 2012 to 2016. Huge part of that run. But he's just he, he doesn't have it. It's gone. His career is over. And if he thought, like I said to Sam, if he thought about retiring after last year, I don't know what he's thinking about at the end of this year, man. It, it, his career is over. Yeah, I think some of it falls on Brandon Hyde a little bit, too. Brandon Hyde, two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, was asked about what he's going to do with Keegan Aiken. And he said, I'm going to put him in the bullpen because we're in win-now mode. Well, the Orioles are chasing at playoffs, or, or, or were chasing the playoffs last night before the, the you know those two horrific losses to the Yankees. And they're putting Chris Davis in the lineup. That does not sound like win-now mode to me. That sounds like we're just trying to throw him out there and see what happens. Because this has been, like you said, maybe he'll run into one. Right. It's been four years of Chris Davis being the worst player in baseball. And it's not even close. He's put up OPS pluses in like the 20s the past couple years. He's been horrifically horrible. And like you said, great dude. Baltimore loves him. And Baltimore did love him. There was not a single person in when he was getting his extension that said, oh, we don't want him to get that extension. Every every Orioles fan wanted that. Most Orioles fans, I should say. I don't know about that. They were well, because and it's mainly because the Orioles bid against themselves. There were no other suitors. If the Orioles had just said, "Hey, this is our offer, 5 years, uh 90 million, 5 years, 100 million and that was it." Okay, but you gave him 7 years, 161 million dollars and you bid against yourself. Well, overall, I think there was a a, a positive overly positive feeling towards it but we don't, I mean that's it's it's obviously not going to be unanimous anytime that everyone wants him back but like we said Dan Duquette probably wasn't really a big fan of having Davis back and this was an Angelos move but Davis's career has been over he's been putting together just the worst at bats ever he's swinging through 90 mile an hour fastballs that are middle middle they, every year you know in, in his prime years he was just crushing on the Utah street 
it's been over for four years. I'm tired of seeing this every night, or it was every night last year. It's not so much every <coughs> night this year. He's been, he's been injured a little bit now. It, it's just time to move on. Something has to happen. I, I'm, I'm tired of coming back to this conversation so often because it's so annoying to just it's, have to talk about it. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. And look, we don't, we're not trying to sling any vitriol absolutely, Chris Davis's way. Again, we, we both acknowledge he's a really good guy, and we want to see him succeed. But the time has come. The time has gone. Career is over. Really shouldn't see the lineup. And if 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 you were paying Chris Davis a million dollars, he wouldn't be on the team right now. It, it all comes down to the almighty. Dollar. And I get it. I understand. You made an investment. You want to you want to try and get whatever you can out of him. But the time has come and gone. It, it's it, my, apologize for the voice crack there. Uh, the time has come and gone. Chris Davis's career is over. Shouldn't see the field again. Probably will because, you know, money. But Zach's going to tell us a little bit about Press Box's print edition while I get Glenn Clark on the line. I'm going to talk to Glenn Clark about some Orioles baseball. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordine helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba. And Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox.com. Man, you're just getting better and better at those live reads as we go on. Nicely done there, sir. On the line now with us is from Glenn Clark Radio, host of every Monday through Friday in this PressBox studio from 10 to 12. We have Glenn Clark. Glenn, how are you today? I'm great, buddy. It's good to talk to you. Is that good to talk to you as well, man? Nice to meet you, Glenn. Glenn, great, great to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this for us uh, on a big sports weekend here in Baltimore. Orioles playing for the playoffs um, against a team directly in front of them. The Ravens are opening up tomorrow at home against the Cleveland Browns in front of nobody. Um, but let's talk about the Orioles because they played a doubleheader yesterday and it did not go the way that yeah. anybody had hoped. Brandon Hyde said, you know, this is a big series for us and I think our guys are up to the task they clearly weren't yesterday, and let's not get it twisted. Uh, all right, uh, Garrett Cole is better than Alex Cobb. Masahiro Tanaka is better than Keegan Aiken. But yes. to, to lose 16-1 to in two games, not what the Orioles were looking for. Sure, it's disheartening. Um, you know, it, it, everything about this is, is so weird, Paul. You know this. This is not where this team is supposed to be, and even as they have outperformed expectations, it's still sort of confusing to try to figure out how much of this is legitimate. I think the disappointing part of it is that the Yankees, frankly, haven't been this good. Um, and, and while they've gotten a little bit healthier of late, like they're, they're still not a particularly good baseball team. Right. And so you really talk yourself into the idea that like the Orioles really can do this. And as we've all dealt with hell at this point, they're not getting a top draft pick anyway. So why not go ahead, no pun intended, and do this? Um, you know, look, it, it's, it's, it's a bummer. You, it, if they can pull off these next two games, they can at least keep this interesting for the next couple of weeks, whereas if they were to lose these next two games, uh, you know, it's, it's not over, but it's, you know, it's OV at that point. I mean, it's, it's almost. Um, it's, it becomes a critical two games this weekend, and, you know, Dean Kramer, <laughs> he of one major league star is sort of who you're putting your hopes on. And that's a, I mean, that's the story of who this Orioles team is. This is not a team that should be in this position. 
And I think we got really excited about what we saw from Keegan Aiken, and I think we start, we, we take really small sample sizes and forget they're just extraordinarily small sample sizes. We're going to be really excited about Dean Kramer. I don't think we can be stunned if Dean Kramer struggles today. He's certainly never been in a position like this before. Well, you look at this team, and, you know, in the here and now, it's exciting. You're, you, you enter a series with the New York Yankees in mid-September, a game and a half back for the final playoff spot of the Yankees, and if you if you win three or four games, you leapfrog, right? Right. right. But what nobody's right. talking about is that in the fourteen games after that, the Orioles have three games against first place Atlanta. They have five yep. games against first place Tampa Bay, and they have three games against Toronto, who's been hot as any team in baseball. Yep. So no it's question. it's not like this team was going to be you know Coasting 30, 35 yes. and twenty five. You know right. Right. This is- and, and, and again, that's sort of the silly part about all this, right, Paul, is that, like, and, and maybe this 18 thing is going to become the future for baseball. Certainly the conversation is, is loud. I'm, I'm, and I think we, you know, I'm opposed to it still. I've changed my mind about a lot of things, but I've not changed my mind about this. I don't need, you know, that many teams in the playoffs. So, right. so all of this is, is kind of silly, right? Like, we're talking about fighting, and it would still be a fight, we're talking about fighting for the last spot in this bizarre year where there's no world where we actually believe. And I get it. You get there. You let whatever silly things happen, and it's fun no matter what. But where you don't actually believe they're going to do something from that, I feel like the excitement has largely been based more on the fact that it is the Yankees, right? Like, if this was right. not the Yankees that you were battling with for the eighth spot, if it was insert team, if Detroit was that team, if you know, Houston, and maybe a little bit more for Houston, so that might not be a fair comparison, if it was Texas, right? Like, if it was something like that, I don't think we would be quite as amped and excited about it, and while it would still be neat, it wouldn't be the same thing. It's the notion that the Yankees, the highest payroll in baseball, you know, the team that was supposed to run away with the American League and between them and the Dodgers to win the World Series was the team that you were going up against to try to get a playoff spot and potentially keep them out at the same time led to us getting a little bit carried away. And look, it could still end up working out that way, and it could still be very fun, but I do think that we got ourselves a little bit you know, misconstrued in the process because we were as excited about the notion of the Orioles doing the silly thing as we were about preventing the Yankees from getting into the playoffs, which is a win no matter how you get it. Hey, Glenn, it's Zach Goodman. I, do you think that the Orioles, because I, I do, that the Orioles got a little bit conceded about whether maybe their position and it got to their heads a little bit that they were about to beat the Yankees and get in the playoffs is that something that kind of played into last night's losses it's an interesting question Zach um you know and I I I, it's it's reasonable I think that like somebody would say the more reasonable scenario is just they've never been there before they like these guys for the overwhelming majority of them I guess technically Chris Davis played last night so he's (laughs) been there before but not this guy um, the, the overwhelming majority of them have never been in a situation like this. They've never been in a Major League Baseball game that mattered in any form or fashion. And I think when you get into that situation, it's easy to be a little bit overwhelmed by it and to not be ready to go in that moment. And then add on the fact that it's a doubleheader, that like you start doing the math beforehand, like you know, think about what happens if we win these two games tonight. Everything's different. It could be very excited. I, my gut tells me that like that you know the the lack of experience probably has as much to do with it as anything and let's see right because you know it, it, you hope that having gone through it last night these next two days are a little bit different but 
you know, you also don't have to face Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka every night yeah. either, which is the good news. Um, that's, that's my gut. And I, you know, I, none of us know for sure, but my gut remains that like this first time doing it, I think maybe we still, uh, like we, we have visions of 2012 where the Orioles weren't supposed to be there and yet handled every turn so well, but we forget that those were still guys that had largely been in the major leagues for a couple of seasons. They were a little bit more, you know, veteran quote unquote than this roster is. This roster is guys that, you know, have never been in any situation of relevance whatsoever and are, are uh, you know, in most cases, barely major leaguers. Not saying they won't prove to be really quality major leaguers, some of them, but, you know, Ryan Mountcastle's been a major leaguer for all of a couple weeks, and he's maybe the most important bat in the lineup for yeah. this team. Bat so today. I, I think, yeah, I think that's relevant. Yeah. Now, a, a, a guy who's missed some time, and, and it's Austin Hayes. And I mentioned mm-hmm. this earlier in the show. Uh, Cedric Mullins has come in, and in 87 at bats, he's hitting 287. A far yep. cry from the player that we saw at the beginning of last year that got demoted not once, but twice. Yep. I'm not so sure that Austin Hayes comes back next year and is handed that center field job. I think it's going oh, to be. Think so. I think it's going to be a battle. Now he might have a better arm than right. Cedric Mullins, but the defense is basically the same, and Mullins has put the bat on the ball. Uh, you, you look at Hayes, he's missed significant time in each of the last three seasons with injuries. He wasn't tearing the cover off the ball before he got hurt. So yep. what is Austin Hayes' future with this team? He, he has a fight in store next next spring. So I guess we got to keep a couple of things in mind, right? Like uh, We assume, who, in, 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 let's, let's go through the scenarios. Who do you think this team's first baseman is next season? I think it's Trey Mancini. Okay, so I probably tend to agree with that, that that would be the person that you give the spot to. So if you're assuming that Santander and Mountcastle are definitely your corner outfielders, Trey Mancini is your first baseman, and, you know, whichever, you know, I, 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 don't, I hate being dismissive of, like, I always feel like I'm being dismissive of Ruiz and Nunez when I talk about the future of this team, and that's maybe a little bit unfair because those guys have been admirable, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I don't need to give them a spot. I guess Nunez my point slides would be, right out. What's that? Nunez slides right out. Correct, correct. Um, I, I, I think you're right. I guess what I would say is, when, in constructing that batting average, we know that part of the story has been bunting, which has been cool, right? Like, I, I, I actually love the fact, I know that everybody, I'm sorry, my five-year-old has had no respect for the fact that I'm doing a conversation right now. I'm so sorry. Jason Locke, um, dog can so, bark on 105.7. Your kid can scream on press box radio. Jeez, man, it's unbelievable. Um, so my point being that, like, I, I, I think you have to think about that and whether or not Cedric Mullins is really a 287 hitter or if teams start adjusting to what he does, is he more like a 260 hitter? And that's still fine, right, especially if he's going to get on base and do some of the things that he does. But I don't know if that's a true reflection of what he is over the course of a major league season. I think Austin Hayes is still in the mix, and I don't know that either one of them is guaranteed to have a spot. I think they both get the opportunity to try to prove what they're going to do. But, I, look, I love what Cedric Mullins has been doing. I know the analytics folks say never bunt ever, but it's, it has worked. I still think that maybe they've been doing it in circumstances that I wouldn't have them do it necessarily, like in 6-5 baseball games where I don't think there's only going to be one run scored the rest of the way. It wouldn't be a place where I would want the Orioles to bunt, but they've done that a couple of times. Um, but, you know, I, I like what I've seen from Cedric Mullins. I think he has found – I've always liked his voice. I've always thought that he had sort of this quiet, kind of 
Adam Jones-esque quality to him. And Adam and I have talked about that a little bit. Like, I think he's always been comfortable in who he is, and I think that he has finally gotten the opportunity to prove that that can carry over to the major league level. Well, it seemed like, and I said this earlier, that's, it's not the case, but it almost seemed like Adam Jones handpicked him to, be, to, to succeed him. In, yeah. In, in, in Baltimore, and he's finally starting to look like the player that we saw going into 2018. You know, he he has to still, like, we've seen a little bit of pop, right? Like, it's not as if he can't have a bit of pop in his bat. We still need to get a little bit more of that. You know, he, he really leaned on Adam. Like, I, I can, you know, I've talked to Adam about this a great deal. He really leaned on Adam for years. And, you know, there's, a, there's obvious reasons for that, right? Unfortunately, in baseball, we're still talking about a, a rather small group, unfortunately, of black baseball players, and in trying to find your voice and trying to find your place, why wouldn't you lean on Adam Jones as one of the most successful baseball players of the last 15 years? Um, he really leaned on him, and, and I think it helped find himself, even as he struggled in that process, to have someone to lean on that way. Um, I, will, it, will it continue? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he definitely... To, to to be this guy, you can't be... I'm trying to make a good comparison here. You can't be... Oh, boy. You, you can't be John Jay, right? Like, you've got... In order to be an everyday center fielder and in the major leagues, you're going to have to swing a little bit more of a power bat. Yeah. Um, you can do all these other things, and that's great, but that's largely going to make you a platoon guy in most places. Um, we'll see if that continues to develop. It seems like you know the, the success he had bunting really helped him feel better about swinging the bat. Uh, it's still a small sample size, but I think he's going to have the opportunity to prove it. Yeah, I think if you don't think Hayes is the guy, that's fine. A lot of people right. would say that Hayes isn't the guy. He's had the injury history, and he hasn't really played that well this year at all. But I'm not sure Cedric is really the guy either that will be that superstar center fielder on the Orioles' next World Series team. I'm just not really convinced right. about that. I'd like to see some other options maybe brought in, maybe a free agent this offseason, or maybe even Ryan McKenna gets a shot next year, Hudson Haskin in a few years. We'll just have to see how that goes. But I'm not really sure Cedric is the guy yet. I'm not, not Not yet, and I, and I agree with that. But I, he still has, like, this is what I talk about. Like, right now, he's shown some nice things. I think that warrants you the opportunity to keep trying to develop. But that's on a team that we are assuming is over 162 games, not going to be very good again next year. I don't think it's much longer than that, and I probably tend to agree with you. I'm not penciling in Cedric Mullins as that guy long-term, and I'm not dismissing Austin Hayes either, to be fair. Like, you know, this is... We have seen guys that the first time we saw them, they didn't impress us all that much, and then, you know, within a year, all of a sudden, they, they look like they figured a few things out. So I'm not dismissing Austin Hayes either. Um, I think that Cedric Mullins has earned more of an opportunity to try to figure out what he is, but I would probably agree, Zach, I'm not, I'm not betting on him being the guy whenever this comes to fruition. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that either one of those guys are the guys or anything of the sort. I think with Austin Hayes, because there was no one else, it was supposed to be Cedric Mullins, and he failed so so much last year. Right. And then Hayes played so well in that last month of the season, there was nobody else. So it's got to be Hayes, and he played well on top of that. So everybody's looking at him, and he, it, that's that's the future. But what if he struggles like he did this year? What if he gets hurt again like he did this year? So it could be Ryan McKenna, it could be Hudson Haskin. We don't know for sure right now. That guy might not even be on the Orioles roster right now. The future in center field remains to be seen. 
A prospect I do want to talk to you about, and he's the prospect, uh, Glenn, and that's Adley Rutschman. We're not going to see him this no. year. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. But I look at the Orioles' defense behind the plate, and Severino yeah. and Cisco have been nothing short of bad uh, defensively. Now, they, they've done some nice things offensively, but you got to catch the baseball. you got to throw runners out. you got to block pitches in the dirt, and they're not the best at it. I think that that might mean that we could see Adley before we – I would expect to see him next September for a call-up, for an audition, right? But maybe earlier than that if he gets off to a hot start next year because their defense behind the plate has just been so bad. I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I think it will be interesting to see time-wise – some of that will have to do with where they are as a team. Like, are you still calling up Adley Rutschman if you're, you know, if you're that far behind and the season's kind of lost? Do you do you try to manipulate the clock as a way you could do it where you bring him up next season and leave him down a little bit longer in order to manipulate it that way? And then, of course, who knows what happens after 2021 and we have a new collective bargaining agreement, or at least we hope yeah. we have a new collective bargaining agreement at that point. I don't disagree with you, and it's sort of, for some reason why I asked about the first base thing, Paul, is that, like, I... Chan Cisco has shown enough to think that his bat, you know, and again, it's a very small sample size, but he's shown enough to think that his bat could play at the major league level, right? The question becomes, do you think that that's an everyday bat or not? If you do, it's not as a catcher. Like, we've kind of always known that. It's, it's, we've never really hidden from that. Does his bat play enough to be a first baseman? I'm not sure that I'm confident about that yet either, and sort of leaves you in this this hole where you have this bat that you think something of, but you're not really sure that you have a place for it whatsoever. I, I, I could see that scenario play out with Adley Rutschman. I do think at some point um, you're, you're going to be forced, when, when you're dealing with agents, when you're dealing with players, that obviously if, if he starts hitting the ball, you know, let's, just, let's assume he starts at Bowie next season. Um, if he's really ripping the cover off the ball, I don't think you can deny that for very long without pissing somebody off. Um, you know, he's not Boris, but he is with a high-level agency, and you, you don't want to mess with, with those types of people, and there is some sort of honor among thieves in that department, and we're talking about year three, when some of the other guys he was drafted with have already made debuts, will certainly have made debuts before then. I think at some point, as long as he's not screwing up, you are going to have an obligation to do something there. I don't think you, you, you make the plan for him to start the season as your catcher. I think that's still a stretch, particularly when you consider you're, you know, you're only a month or so away from being able to get you know, that, that extra year of service time. But I don't think you can go too far into the season if, if he is ripping the cover off the ball there that, before you do it and, and you say, all right, we're going to have to go ahead and make plans this way and move forward and you know, maybe even hope that you could give him a, an early extension and buy a couple of years by paying him a certain amount of money. I don't know why that would be a bad idea. I think we've all asked for the Orioles to do that a time or two over the last few years. But you're right about the defense thing. Look, both Severino and, and Cisco have really swung the bat, and they've been a big part of the story, and it's why it was always sort of silly to talk about that scenario of this year is because both of them have been part of the reason why the Orioles are even in this position is because they both hit. But no, they've been, they have not done anything behind the plate. And the secondary argument is that both, like, if you assume next year Aiken's in your rotation, we'll assume the Kramer's in your rotation, you know, at, at some point we're maybe even having the Grayson Rodriguez conversation next year. You do want those guys working with a catcher that you trust that might be their guy for long term. And so that sort of fortifies the conversation about why Adley Rutschman should be here. 
Well, yeah, he's, for all intents and purposes, he's a generational-type talent behind the plate. And, I mean, you, you look no further than Greg Amsinger on MLB um, Network. He was beside himself that the Orioles should have had Adley start the year as their, as their opening day catcher yeah. this year. You know? yeah. And I don't agree with that. I, I don't think you have, you know, two months of baseball at Aberdeen and on the Gulf Coast and then, and then like, a couple of weeks at Frederick right, uh, and, and – and or I'm sorry, Delmarva. Delmarva, right? Yeah, and and that you're ready for the majors. I don't agree with that, but I do think that Ali Rutschman is going to move quicker than a lot of other prospects. You know, you mentioned Chan Cisco, maybe maybe him being at first base. He's James Loney if 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 that happens at his best, and that's without the glove. Uh, right. You, you know what I mean? I don't think Chan Cisco has a spot on this roster uh, in in a couple of years. I don't think he's got an everyday spot. I think his bat play is enough that you want to keep him around somehow. If somebody else, you know, thinks that he can be a catcher, you have that conversation. I think he, you know, I, I, I think he's a guy that can have some sort of role for you. And it's not the end of the world if he's, you know, if he's your reserve catcher who happens to swing a bat and is available to you for, for 15 games if, you know, God forbid, Adley Rutschman gets hurt. But, yeah, look, no, it, you don't do bad business you know, just for the sake of doing bad business. It would have been bad business for the Orioles to have Adley Rutschman on this team for, for two months and, and lose a year of service time in the process. It just doesn't make any sense for Agreed. any organization to do something like this, particularly when, as you point out, you know, you're talking about a guy who's never even been to high A ball yet. Like, that's just that's insane to do that type of business. But at some point, the other parts of this conversation have to be, you know, you have to weigh those with the business aspect. And one of those things that you have to weigh, and I I think the argument with the pitchers is the strongest one, right? Like, you want this group of guys to be your, you know, your group of pitchers that gets you through this thing. And they are better suited working with a really good catcher in that process. And so... You know, you've already got Aiken and you've got Dean Kramer here, and if you think those guys are a part of this, you know some of the guys that are coming behind it. At some point, I think that has to happen, that those guys are working with the guy that you think is going to be their catcher for the next five to six years. And so I, I, I think you're right. That conversation starts happening, you know, late spring next year. When do we start making this work that Adley Rutschman is on the Major League roster? Well, it certainly will make for a, an exciting 2022 when I expect to have Rutschman, Kramer, uh, D.L. Hall, and Grayson Rodriguez up at the Major League level. So, right, right. So, Glenn, we're almost out of show here. We have one segment left before we get our third and final break, and I want to let you be a part of this. Every week, Zach and I do this segment that we call Take the Rake. We pick a player who we think is going to have the best offensive week, and then when we come back mm. next Saturday, we talk about who won. Um, we would like you to, you're going to be our fifth straight guest who's going to play if you don't mind playing with us uh, in, in, in this so last week we had Dan Connolly on he took Hanser Alberto uh, Alberto went 5 for 22 no extra base hits 1 mm. RBI mm. Zach, Zach took Renato Nunez he went 2 for 13 0 extra base hits 1 RBI I took Pedro Severino Four for 14, a double, a triple, no RBIs. So nobody had a great week. Technically, my guy... You won by default. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I won by default. Severino hit 286. The other guys hit below um, hit below 200. So technically, I win. Now, that would mean that between Zach and I, I get the first pick. But you are the guest on our show. 
So this week, you get to take the first pick for Take to Rake. Ah, um, yeah. So I, like, when, when you first said this, I just wanted to say Ryan Mountcastle and just believe that this is going to continue. But, Everybody does. Everybody does every uh, week. You know, like, it's, it feels like almost stupid not to. Uh, I'll go, boy. You know what, I'm not, it, is, it feels like you're going to overthink this. I'm just going to take Ryan Mountcastle. I'm just going to take him. And if I win with Ryan Mountcastle, you can tell me that I, I got a cheap win. That's fine. But I, I like, I, there's everything to like about this dude's bat. Everything to like about the way that he swings it. I, you know, I'm, I'm more and more confused by what we've been missing um, because he's not been terrible in the field either. Um, there's so much to like about it. I'm just going to ride Ryan Mountcastle. Hey, there's there's nothing cheap about taking Ryan, Ma- Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, he's been tearing the cover off the ball. What would be cheap would have been if last week when Zach tried to take Anthony Santander, who had just strained his oblique, if I had let that happen. Yeah, that, that would have been rough. That would have <laughs> that, that that been cheap. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't let Yeah, that's, that's a really cheap win at that point. Well, it, yeah. it wasn't my smartest moment. I, I wasn't really thinking there. I, gotta, I, gotta admit that. <laughs> I wasn't about to let him do that. I, I have too good of a heart for that. That. So you took Mountcastle. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go along the same lines with you, Glenn. I'm taking DJ Stewart. Babe Ruth. Yeah, I get it. I, you know the guy's tearing the cover off the ball, and when he's not hitting home runs, he's lacing doubles to the opposite field. I'm taking DJ Stewart. Zach. Oh man, this is a tough one. You guys got the uh, the hot hitters out of the way. I'm probably gonna go with Hanser Alberto. You know he's been struggling a little bit, but I think he's gonna pick it up this week and get a few more base hits. You know he's in the he's in the first percentile of exit velocity, which is not like great. The, the lowest in the league. But he seem he leads the Orioles in hits, so not a bad choice. Not a bad choice. Glenn, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Look forward to talking to you more in the in the coming weeks and months. Uh, and also thanks for helping me get this gig. I certainly appreciate that as. As well well and i want to tell you guys you guys are doing a great job uh really phenomenal we are we are glad you know it means a lot to us uh we like having you part of the brand and um you've been you're pulling great guests and doing great shows and and we are really happy about that so great job guys and really appreciate you having me on thanks so much man we'll talk to you soon enjoy football this weekend i appreciate it guys take it easy That was, as his live read would suggest, the irreverent and pragmatic Glenn Clark, who hosts Glenn Clark Radio for Press Box Sports and oh so much more for Press Box Sports every Monday through Friday from 10 to 12. Really, really love talking to Glenn. He came on um, the Payoff Pitch, my podcast last year. He came on two or three times. He's always a great guest, does a phenomenal job. And he's a guy who has really, really helped me get a, a leg up in my sports journalism career. I wouldn't be in this chair if it weren't for Glenn Clark. So he is welcome on this show whenever he wants to come on. He's a really great guy, awesome guy to talk sports with. He knows so much about so many different sports. He knows stuff about like sports I've never even heard of. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, he, he does a wrestling show as well, right? Yeah. I, something I'm not very tuned into at all. I I I am a wrestling fan. It's like it's like my guilty pleasure. I don't I don't listen to jobbing out because I'm usually at work when he does that show, uh, unfortunately. But I'm sure he does a great job with that. It's it, wrestling's always been my guilty pleasure since I was a little kid. So, and speaking of Glenn, every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their 
pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ian Eagle, or Ian Eagle, however you want to say that, potato potato, and Charles Davis before they call Ravens-Browns for CBS tomorrow. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com. And as if Glenn didn't do enough already, if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to be is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With PressBox's Press Project Game Day, Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined postgame by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalas and the NFL chicks at Rita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and postgame at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. Tomorrow, Glenn and Ken Zales are with you for the opener between Baltimore and Cleveland. That's PressBox's Project Game Day, every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. I told you. Glenn does everything. He is a jack-of-all-trades. He's not doing this, though. We're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to close things out before the Orioles play the Yankees at 1 o'clock. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. 
For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the bat around. We're going to close things out. A little Glenn Clark radio music to take us. I talk about... I didn't say it last week. I can't help myself. I just love it. It's, just, the, it's the best intro music of all time. It, it's it is. I just, I just love it, man. It's, it, 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 this and um, Beverly Hills got boop, 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 boop. That. Sorry, guys. Sorry for that. The, the, my two favorite intros. My two favorite themes of all time. All right. So, really great show today, Zach. Really great show. Special thanks to. Stan the Fan, Charles, Ryan Blake, who was so much better than I, I, I like Ryan. I knew he was going to be good. So much better than I ever anticipated him being. He was phenomenal today. Uh, really great story that, that he had for us about his, you know, tr- going out to his, achieve his dreams. And then, as always, Glenn Clark was fantastic. You know, I can't say enough about the guy. So, Orioles, they're taking on the, uh, the Yankees today at 1 o'clock, trying to get themselves back um, into that playoff race, even though they have a tough stretch to end the season. So today we have Dean Kramer making his second major league start, and he is going up against who is he going up against today? Jordan, it's Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery. That's who I thought it was. Jordan. So Keegan, uh, Dean Kramer, excuse me, one of the one five zero ERA facing off against Jordan Montgomery, two and two with a five seventy two ERA. Seems like ample opportunity for the Orioles to get back on their winning ways. The Orioles this year, man, what what, what they've done. They'll win four in a row, then they'll lose three in a row, which is what they've just done. They won six in a row earlier, then they lost 11 of 13. They go on these winning streaks, and then they immediately are followed by losing streaks or big chunks of losses in a short short period of time. So hopefully the Orioles get back onto their winning ways and that three-game losing streak. We got Ravens football tomorrow. This is a baseball show, so we don't talk about football, but I do have my show, The Football Friends, to give myself a free plug here. Uh, where I'll be talking about Ravens football. I'm recording tonight at 6.30. Hopefully that'll be up before the game tomorrow. Um, really excited about what the Ravens did for Mo. They put a really nice tribute. They have an entire section filled with nothing but Mo cardboard cutouts and one cardboard cutout of his mother because she was there every step of the way. God bless that woman. Um, but also, they have Baltimore written in one of the end zones in purple, outlined in gold. But the M.O. in Baltimore is painted completely in gold to honor Mo. And I think they're going to be doing stuff like that for him all season. Yeah, it's a top-tier organization. We know about that and the things they've done for Mo and all the a lot of Baltimore sports people and the Orioles, of course, as well, have done for Mo is pretty incredible. And, you know, we'll get to see it all season. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for what Lamar – we were talking about it during the break. I'm really excited for what Lamar Jackson is going to do this year. I think that he's going to – 
as good as last year was, I think his encore this year is going to be something the likes of which nobody has ever seen in the history of the league. Assuming, and you can say this about any quarterback, it's not just because it's Lamar. Assuming he stays healthy, and assuming that offensive line stays healthy, I think what he's going to do this year, running and throwing the football, is going to be otherworldly. Guys, that's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you next week, hopefully talking about some Orioles playoff caliber baseball. Until then, we'll see you next time.